Hey, that's a like that's good walk-up music right there, man. I like that. Uh, hey, this is a great day. What a fun day. Worship's going to be a little louder today. This is a great opportunity to have a day like today because we get to have all of our kids in here. So isn't that awesome? Fun? It's kind of fun. That's a good opportunity for us to have family worship today. It's also a good opportunity because many of our uh, church families are worshiping online. That's a good experience to learn how to do with us. Uh, and, and so today's a great opportunity. We also have the opportunity to forgive our weathermen, right? We can forgive those guys. They're flawed guys like all of us. So this is a phenomenal opportunity today. So we're in the book of John. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. And, and, and you know, here's, the, here's one of the flaws of humanity, and we all share it, this flaw. Sometimes as a, as a human being, we often miss what's right in front of our eyes. And, and this is true about, like what Chad said at the beginning of the service, it's, it's true about God. We miss things that are right in front of us. And when you look at the Old and New Testament, there's, there's some truths revealed by God that are just obvious that we shouldn't miss. And, and you're going to read about it tomorrow in Matthew chapter 11, if you're reading through the Bible with us, and I hope that you are, you'll see this glaring truth tomorrow. You see it in this passage today. And it's this temptation that we have to, to just plug up our ears and close our eyes to the obvious work of God. We have a tendency to do that. To just go, I don't want to hear you, Lord. I don't want to see what what you're really doing. And you know, this is something that we shouldn't do. We should allow God's revelation to stand. We should allow God to reveal himself to us, and we should accept what he has revealed to us. Now, um, it, it's just a plain truth. Here's some plain truths that we we rational people understand. And, and the first one is this, that God created the world. This is not an accident. The world we are in is not accidental. It didn't just accidentally appear. God was intentional about creation. God was intentional of creating you. And, and, and God spoke by his own mouth and creation happened. This is just a, a true thing. God then revealed himself to us. It started with a man. God revealed himself to the world. This creator wanted you and I to know him. And so then God spoke to this man who had the name Israel, who became a nation. And out of this man came these prophets that spoke into the world and said, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Mankind is sinful and flawed. And a Messiah is coming. And these prophets got these, these revelations from God. And, and then God kept that promise by entering the world. In John chapter 1, it's so glaring. And what I want us to do is we're going to look at John 1, 1 through 18 today. And we're going to hover through that passage. But I want us to stand together and let's just read this revelation of God that is glaring and right in front of us. Let's stand together. We're going to read one verse in this passage together. And I want you to just allow it to stand. 
And it's good that our kids are making noise today. That's awesome today. Let's just embrace the, the joy of the moment. And moms and dads, don't worry about your kids talking. They're just helping me out, and I love it. But let's stand and let's read this passage. And if you're visiting today, we're, and even in your living room, I want you to stand in honor of God's word. Because this is just a practical posture that we acknowledge, God, you have spoken right here. John 1, 14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Let's read it again. This is a revelation of God to us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Now, here's a definition of revelation. God has revealed himself to the world. And we understand this. And revelation is understood as as a supernatural disclosure of information that is surprising. So let's think about what is revelation. Divine revelation, and any revelation, is a supernatural disclosure of information. It's surprising and previously unknown, and it's unfolded in a dramatic way. So revelation, by definition, a divine revelation, is this supernatural disclosure of information. It's, um, it's surprising. And it's not previously, it's previously unknown. It wasn't known before. And then it's unfolded in a dramatic way. This is what God did. God revealed his name to the world. God created the world, then revealed his name to the world, revealed his will to the world, revealed this information that a Messiah was going to enter the world. And then he did. Now, um, Jesus entered the world. And there's a lot of arguments today that, hey, you know, Christianity is just one of the things you could believe in. We ought to just all get along and all believe the same thing. But there's a problem with that. Why? Because of the revelation of God. Because there's not multiple gods in the world. There's one God. And then then Satan who has deceived the world. Like we just sang this song, I'm fighting a battle that's already won, right? The, The dangerous, most dangerous thing about being in a battle is not knowing that you're in one, right? We're in a spiritual battle and Satan is deceptive. But God has revealed his will right in front of us. And, and here's what you see in this passage in John chapter 1. Let's, let's, let's live in there for a little bit. One of the things you can't help but notice, and it's obvious, and it's, it's right in front of us, that Jesus is historically unique. And I want you to see this, and the Bible reveals this, that, that it, Jesus is unique historically. No one is like him. Look at verse 1. In the beginning 
John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's, let's get into this passage. Let's allow God to just speak to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, let's think about this. Let's, let's dig into this. In the Gospel of John offers this clear testimony that, that Jesus of Nazareth was more than just a good man. He was more than just a rabbi. He was more than just a controversial leader. Jesus was more than that. Jesus of Nazareth was literally God in the flesh. And that's, that's who he is. That's who he was revealed to be. And in the fact, in this very, these first few verses, here's what you see about Jesus, that he's eternal. You see this about Jesus. And you can see it's revealed right here in front of us. You see Jesus as Trinity. Okay, this is, these are massive com, uh, concepts, massive revelations that Jesus is eternal, that Jesus is Trinity, that Jesus is the creator. It's right there. It shows why Jesus is unique. It's why we can't buy into the cultural pressure that, that we should believe that every religion is the same. Every belief is the same. No, it's not. Jesus is unique. And John uses this unique descriptor that Jesus is the Word. Look at that. It's right there. He's the Word. Jesus is God's last word to mankind. And, and according to, to John, he's the eternal Word. He's the creative Word. He's the incarnate Word, which means he's the Word in the flesh. Incarnate means body. He's the living Word. He, he entered the world in the flesh. And, and it's the life of Jesus that proves that he's divine. And this is why I think it's important to learn to pay attention to the details of the Bible and learn to be students of what God has said through his word because we're in the book of Matthew in our reading and Matthew emphasizes the kingship of Christ. And you, and you see this over and over again. The gospel of Matthew, every gospel is unique that Jesus is the king in Matthew. Mark turns the spotlight onto the servanthood of Christ, that Jesus was a servant who came to the world. Luke focused on the manhood of Christ, that Jesus was a man. And John, what he does, he turns his attention to the godhood of Christ that Jesus is God. And can, can I think, can, let's think about this, because this is true in my life, and I bet it's true in yours, that most of the doubts, fears, and temptations to mistrust God, um, to mistrust his work in our lives, I think it, it stems from this misunderstanding of who God is of who Jesus is. Now, there's a, and I don't want to lose you here, but, but, I, but I also want to push you to think and understand, and, and we've got to grow up in our thinking. There's a, there's a concept in theology called the communicable and the incommunicable attributes of God. So let's think about what, that, what I just said. Those are big words that we have to 
that, that I even have to stop and pause and, and, and process the, the incommunicable attributes of God. What this means are, are those, those attributes of God that I just flat out can't understand. They don't resonate in my head and in my life and my experience. It's just this revelation of God that is just hard for us to understand because we don't have any experience like it. It's hard for us to communicate and receive the communication. It's almost incommunicable. The incommunicable attributes of God are those, that, those attributes that we cannot share with God. Like he's eternal. That is so outside of our understanding and when we think about it, we don't get it. It's hard for us to to understand anything eternal. Nothing in our lives are eternal. Even, I mean, we have some, um, the Williams are here. They can build stuff that lasts a long time. They can build buildings that last a long time, but nothing is eternal. Even the greatest buildings that the Williams built will eventually end. Won't, won't last forever. Nothing in our experiences that we know of is eternal. It's so hard for us to grasp God never had a beginning and he never has an end. He's eternal. We see that in the Bible. That's, a, that's an attribute that is incommunicable. The, the, the fact that, that God is immutable, which means unchangeable. God doesn't change. We change. Uh, my body is changing, right? Uh, my knees don't work like they used to. I, you know, I'm watching, my granddaughter is up here making all the noise because she wants to come hang out with me up here on stage. And, um, and I love that. But, but you know, she's going to grow up. Her body's going to change. Her mind is going to change. God never changes. That's one of those incommunicable attributes of God. The Trinity is an incommunicable attribute of God. It's very difficult for us to understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a revelation of Scripture that we just have to accept. You have the, let's think about the omnipresence of God. How incredible it is that that right now, here we are, the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking and growing in us right here. And, and he's doing the same thing in every church in Owasso that follows him. In every church around the world, my, uh, we've been praying for missionaries in Ukraine and the, and the leaders. God is, God is communicating in Ukraine right now, working in Ukraine right now while he's working right here. He's omnipresent. That's one of those things that in our minds go, but there are some communicable attributes of God. Those things that we can understand, like like, um, love. God is love and moves us to love even our enemies, even those who we struggle with. God moves us to a love for one another, that's a communicable attribute of God. Um, knowledge is a communicable attribute. God has revealed some knowledge to us, things that we can understand and we can relate to. And we can, like Jesus limited himself, Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That we can have knowledge. We are able to be merciful. 
God is merciful, and, and we're moved to mercy and forgiveness, um, uh, justice. God is just, and we are moved to be just and understand that, look, this is right and this is wrong. Those are the communicable attributes of God. And, and, and right here, it's so very fascinating because John is this, like we said last week, he's this unschooled, ordinary man. But yet in John 1, 1 through 3, his gospel reveals these things about God that have absolutely confounded the greatest minds all through history. Because he's revealed these truths about how powerful God is. And you know what it reminds me of? Have you, I don't know if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read that book, you've you got to read that to your kids. Read it for yourself. Don't just read it for your kids. But you ought to read it to your kids or your grandkids. The Chronicles of Narnia was written by C.S. Lewis, and, it's, and it, I don't think it'll be a spoiler. If not, it won't be. You just need to read it anyway. But, um, but in the Chronicles of Narnia, God is Aslan. He's a lion. And there's this moment that um, uh, Aslan is talking to Lucy. Robin, I can't remember which book it is. You, you will know. Okay, yeah, Robin knows every detail, so she'll uh, help me which book it's in. But he's talking to Lucy, and she looks at Aslan and said, Aslan, you're bigger. You've grown. And he said, oh, little one, I haven't grown, but you have. And the more you grow, Lucy, the bigger I get. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Thank you, Robin. Chronicles of Narnia. If you're ever in a quiz bowl with Chronicles of Narnia, get Robin on your team, okay? But what an incredible truth that C.S. Lewis articulates. Because the closer we get to God, the more we understand God, the bigger he gets. And if you want to do a test in your own life, am I growing up spiritually? Then you will you can tell you're growing up if God's get if God gets more magnificent, more powerful, more amazing in your eyes. If you ever get to the point where you're like, hey, I, I understand God, that is the most immature thing that could ever come out of your mouth. And right here in the Gospel of John, he points to the fact that, oh man. Jesus is historically unique because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh. It's huge. You see that Jesus is historically unique. In this passage, you also see, look at verse 4, because I think you see something else. You see that Jesus is rightly loving. He's rightly in, his, in the way that he loves you and he loves me. And I, and I think that, that so many in our world misunderstand the rightness of God's love. God's love is right. And because he's right, just like we saw last week, if you were here last week, and we looked at the confrontation of John, how God confronted the disciples and said, look, you need to turn around. You, you see these, these men that wrote the Gospels, these people that we read about in the New Testament, they, they that they re-experienced a life in Christ, a restored life. 
And, and one of the things you understand in the book of John, that he offers a restored life to you. Look at verse 4. John writes, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, now it's interesting. I think it's notable that every gospel that you will read points to John the Baptist. Tomorrow, you're going to read about John the Baptist. About You're going to read Matthew 11, 11 tomorrow. Matthew 11, 11 says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So it's this interesting description that John the apostle says, in him was light, life, and the light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Then he points, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And then, then John the apostle says very clearly, look, he wasn't the light but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, John the Baptist is an important figure that we should understand. Now, I think there's two things that I want us to notice about John the Baptist. I don't want you to miss his example. John the Baptist is an important example in Scripture that every gospel points to him. Every God, Jesus even said, like in Matthew eleven eleven, nobody was greater in all the history than John the Baptist. Well, let's think about his example. He was a witness. He was a witness to Christ. You know what it points, you know what helps us understand? There is no greater calling in all the world than to be a witness for Christ. That you and I get to be a witness for Christ. And I don't want you to miss the, the example of John the Baptist that, that, that we get to be a witness for Christ. And this is why in my, in my life, I, I pray we are faithful ambassadors for Christ, that we represent Christ to the world. John the Baptist was, was this. I hope you, you come on Wednesday nights. Look, you, even if you missed last Wednesday night, you can come this week. Because we're talking about how we can be more effective witnesses for Christ than we've ever been. More clear with the gospel than we've ever been. And, and I can't think of a, of, a, of a time in history where it's more critical for the world to see an accurate example for Christ. I think it's beautiful how John the, John the Apostle begins his gospel saying, we got to see John the Baptist. Look at his example. Coach T said, he's with us this week in, or in our Wednesday night classes. He's a friend of mine from Oklahoma City. He came last week. He's going to come every week. And, and he, made, he made a statement this week that was so very powerful. He said, you know that, that the only thing you won't get to do in heaven that you get to do on the earth. You know what the only thing is? Is to be a witness for Christ. This is why God left us here, he said. 
God left us here on the earth, and the reason that we didn't uh, get saved and immediately go to heaven is because God has left us here to be a witness for Christ. And it's such an honor to be a witness. And the Bible tells us that, that you and I are the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. It's like a city that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. These are the lives that we are to live. That, and, and I think it's masterful as John the Apostle points to John the Baptist because he was a witness. You and I are called to be witnesses too. Let's think about John the Baptist. What was his message? John called people to repent. He called to repent and believe in Christ. That's the salvation message. You know, what it mean? you know what it means to repent, right? Jesus didn't come to make your life better. That's not why he came into your life. He came into your life to rescue you from death and give you life. You were dead in your sins. And, and see, it's this calling of repentance that, that God opens to us, that God has revealed to us. And, and John the Baptist spoke and, and issued this call of repentance. And this call of repentance is what restores your life. So it gives you hope in, in this world and the next. And folks, there's going to be a next world. What is repentance? It calls, moves you to acknowledge God, acknowledge yourself accurately. You know that you're a sinner, right? You know that your greatest need is a Savior, right? That's why this, we read in Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that understand, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Repentance is acknowledging God, acknowledging yourself accurately. God helps us and revealed reveal to us to get to the root of our problem, our sin problem. And then comes this willing confession that, God, I believe who you are. I see who you are, and I'm going to trust you. You're God who came for me. And that's why John made it super clear that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what's interesting about God, and you see it in this passage, that you see the magnificence and the knowledge of God, but you also see this interesting tension that, that we in the, in the world, we as human, humanity, it's, we struggle to really understand that, that God knows everything and he's all knowledgeable and he's all powerful. He knows who will come to him. He knows who will reject him. But this is one of those mysteries in Scripture where, and not to be a C.S. Lewis day, but he coined this term, and I think you see it right here, that, that he offers us the dignity of causality. He gives us the freedom to choose him, the, the power to choose him. And I know this, this is just this tension of Scripture how does God's sovereignty and his knowledge mix with his the freedom to choose? But look at, verse, um, look at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, did not receive him. 
What's interesting about God is that he didn't force us to choose him. He's, God is sovereign. And you see these two characteristics in the scripture at play, that, that God is sovereign. He's totally in control. He knows everything. But he allows man to have a choice. He offers this um, call to repent and believe in him. That's what salvation is, right? It's repentance and belief. This is why John wrote his gospel, that you would see Jesus. You would see that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he came for you. But, but you know what? Jesus even came to his own, and they didn't receive him. And it's interesting as you look at the call of God, that he, he doesn't force you to believe in him. He doesn't force you to come to him. And this is a tension in Scripture that we just feel, and we should feel. And, and it, but, but it's interesting, look at verse 12, because he offers adoption into his family. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And you see God doing this supernatural work that is in salvation of God, opening hearts, opening eyes, opening lives. And you know the benefit of this. Though it's difficult to reverse engineer salvation, and we have to be careful not to, not to, um, not to put salvation in man's hands. But let's understand this adoption that comes. That that adoption is available. If you'll come to Christ, if you'll come to him, he won't turn you away. And I look at this call to be witnesses of Christ, to, to, to share the message of Christ to the world, saying, come to Jesus. And this is why we ought to be passionate witnesses of Christ. And we ought to be passionate and skillful about looking at the world, saying, come to Jesus. Because if you come, you could experience adoption. Um, become children of God. First Peter, we, we, when we looked at this, we, we dug into the benefits of adoption. First Peter 1.4 says our, we're, we have this inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. And, and see, we often think of, of our inheritance, our adoption as sons and daughters, that that, that is something, that, uh, inheritance is something we get when somebody dies. But God speaks of this inheritance that comes to you when you die. The day you draw your last breath, we receive an inheritance. It's kept in heaven for us. And in Revelation 21 talks about this inheritance. It, well, what is this inheritance in heaven? It's, it's the, the very presence of God that is waiting for us. This uh, Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be there with them and, and be their God. Our inheritance is this presence of God. We, the, our inheritance includes this 
peace in life, then meaning and fulfillment. It says that in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Uh, Revelation 21, 4, there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the older things have passed away. Our inheritance, that, that, or this adoption has incredible benefits. It's eternal life. Our, our inheritance includes this greatest reunion that we'll ever know. We'll, we'll, in heaven, we'll know each other. Our adoption produces this, this experience where we'll, we'll, we'll get to hang out with Moses and Stephen. I'll finally get to meet John Bunyan, who wrote my favorite book that I'm almost finished with, Pilgrim's Progress. And I, I can't wait to talk to him about his book. I can't wait to get to heaven because we'll be together. We'll see each other in heaven. We'll know the impact of the Mission Center, our children's ministries, our, our student ministries. We'll, we'll get to, uh, to trace the gospel story of those that come after us if the Lord tarries. And, and we'll be a part. I'll get to see Dale Blackwood again. And, and, and you know, Brenda Williams, who just went to heaven, uh, we'll get to hear her story and see how God used even the gospel message through her service that took place this week. Look, folks, heaven is a reunion. And the Bible speaks of this, the benefits of adoption. And I want you to know, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus, he'll save you. He'll adopt you. And that's such a miraculous work in the hands of God. And salvation is one of those strange communicable aspects of God because he's revealed that salvation is possible, but it's also these incommunicable attributes of God because it, I, I don't know how he works all the details out. But Jesus is rightly loving. Look at verse 6, and I don't want you to, or excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 5, excuse me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And you know what's interesting, and I want us to catch this, that Jesus is rightly loving, and nothing that the enemy throws our way will defeat us. That is so very powerful to understand, that the work of God in our lives will never be defeated. You see that Jesus is rightly loving. He's patient. And I think it's fascinating when you look at John 1, 14 through 18, you see something interesting, that Jesus is patiently gracious. And I'm grateful for the patient grace of God. Look at verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That right there is amazing. That Jesus would dwell with me. You know what's amazing about that? I know me. I know how quick I am to doubt him, quick I am to rebel against him, how frail I am. But yet Jesus comes to dwell among us, and you know what he's allowed us to do is to see his glory. And the glory of God, every time I see it, the stronger I get, the less likely I am to, to turn away from him or to doubt him or to rebel against him. Because the more of his glory that I see, the stronger I get. 
And we see the glory as the only son from the Father. And, he, and look at what he says about him. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And this is why we allow God's word to stand. This is why we allow the revelation of God to stand. This is why I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the revelation of God to stand because God is full of grace. He's full of truth. And I think it's really interesting that then John the apostle turns back to John the Baptist and he says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom I said... He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. And I think it's interesting and significant to connect the grace of God with John the Baptist. And you know what you're going to read tomorrow? You're going to read tomorrow Matthew eleven two. And as you read that tomorrow, I want you to think about how patiently gracious God is with you. Don't miss this, because Matthew eleven two, it says this, that when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, in fact, turn over to Matthew 11. Your Bibles, I want you to turn over there. I want you to look at this. In Matthew 11, verse 2, now when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So, so John sent his disciples. John's in prison. It's a tough day for him. He knows the gravity of the situation. And he sent his disciples to say, you asked Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. The lepers are, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up. The poor have good, the good news preached to them. And then Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think it's masterful how John the Apostle connects John the Baptist with this amazing, patient grace of God. Because one of the things you know about John the Baptist right before he Dies, and we mentioned Matthew eleven eleven that Jesus dealt with the doubts of John. What do you see? What you see right here is John the Baptist doubting. Man, Jesus, is this right? He's going through a trial and he doubts. Golly, I can relate to that. And I love what Matthew Henry says about it. Matthew Henry is a old guy, wrote a commentary. He says, even the greatest of men have doubts. And one of the things that I think that you see in the gospel of John from the very beginning 
is how Jesus is patiently gracious. You see, both John the Apostle and John the Baptist understood the patient grace of God. And I think we should too. I think we should understand the patient grace of God as we deal with our own sin, as we deal with the sins of others, as we take a stand against the schemes of the devil, as we allow God's word to simply stand as his revelation to us. Look at verse 16 because he says this, for, for from him, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You know what grace is, right? Classic definition of grace. Grace is a gift that you've been given that you don't deserve. And God came into the world full of grace. That even though his own didn't receive him, he still came for them. Even though, like Romans 5, 8, fascinating verse to me that God demonstrates his love for us in this. And I think the grammar is fascinating in Romans 5, 8. Because he says in the present tense, God demonstrates his love for you. Meaning that God is continually demonstrating his love for you. That even though we were sinners, and he shifts to the past tense, we're sinners, Christ died for you. It's fascinating that Christ is patient with us in our struggles, in our doubts, in our sins. And John the, Bab- John the Apostle writes, after he references John the Baptist, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through, the, through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Then he doubles down here and he says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, for he has made him known. And I don't want you to miss that the one who entered the world was God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I just want to ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in him? Do you know what I'm talking about, though? I'm not talking about just a mental agreement to a set of facts. I'm talking, do you believe with your life? You know, I, I don't do this every day, but I try almost every day. I try to make breakfast for that lady right there. And she has a boiled egg, and it's not hard. But I'll have her coffee ready. I did it this morning. 
coffee was ready with the creamer in it and everything. Um, I tell her I love her all the time. But because I love her, I show her I love her in the little things that are big things. And, and you know, we live in a world that, it, that needs to see true witnesses for Christ. And those that know Christ as Savior, you, you don't just have a set of facts. You have a life that is a natural result of your faith. And I want to ask you, do you have a saving faith in Christ? Do you, do you believe him? And here's what that looks like. I think, um, I don't agree with everything that Mark Dever says, but he, but I like him, though I don't agree with him all the time. But he articulated these three questions that I think are really good. To, to just test do you have a, self, a saving faith in Christ? Do you have a believing faith in Christ? And it's this. Do you have a present trust in Christ alone for your salvation? Right now, do you know that it's only Jesus that can save you? You can't save yourself. It's not a prayer you prayed that saved you. It's Jesus that saved you. Do you see him? Do you have a present trust right now that, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior? That's a test. That's a way to, to wrestle through. Do you know Jesus? Do you, here's another question I think is right. Is, is the Holy Spirit moving in your heart? Does the Holy Spirit move you? Does he convict you? Does he confront you? Is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Because that's a way to, to discern, God, are you with me? Are you, am, I, am I trusting you? If there's conviction, if you can go sin and um, do whatever you want, there's no movement to change. Um, Brady, you told me I could do this, so I'm going to do it today. Brady Stevens is over here, and he, uh, he was baptized in, on Mother's Day. And um, this is so cool. He gave me a bottle of champagne. It's in my office. After he got saved, he had these people that he, wasn't, he couldn't forgive. And he was going to blow it up when they died. Kind of a cool thing, right? He goes, now I've come to Jesus and I've forgiven him. Here, you can have it. It's up in my office. I got to forgive him. I'm going to forgive him. That's a work of God. That's a Holy Spirit work. Um... Do you know Jesus? 
Do you see him? You can come to him right now. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand right where we are. And you know, here's the struggle of being online today. They're out of time. They've, uh, we, we only have a certain amount of time online, and they were cut off. So we'll trust the Lord with them. But I, I want you to see Jesus. He came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's only Him that's full of grace and truth. Will you come to Him if you haven't? 